As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're beginning a new liturgical year. As you may know, there are three cycles of readings now so that we could get more of the scriptures into the Sunday services. We are beginning cycle A this year. And so that's why I entitled my sermon, Here We Go Again. It seems like we finish the year and then we start a new one and then we finish that one and we start a new one. We go round and round. It's not quite that way. First of all, I mentioned about the liturgical year. And there's two fixed points, Christmas, the birth of the Messiah, and Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. And for each of those two, we have a season of preparation. This is Advent, of course, the four Sundays before Christmas. This year we get the full four weeks of Advent. And the general message is get ready. And we will hear a lot from the prophets. And also we change the liturgy a little. Instead of singing a glory to God, we sing a Lord have mercy, the so-called Trishagion, which goes back at least to the fourth century and maybe earlier and was widely used throughout the churches, not just the Greek churches, but also spread into the West. And of course, the season preparation for Easter is Lent, which is a little more of a penitential season, a constant call to repentance. Following that, of course, we have Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then for the bulk of the year, what we call ordinary time which time we are called to hear and listen to the, to the teachings of Jesus and put them into practice in our lives. So Jesus didn't come this year. Did you want him to? Maybe next year. So here we go again. Now a couple of cautions about liturgy. We like to celebrate liturgy. We like to do it well. But the liturgy is never an end in itself. The goal is not to perform beautiful liturgy. The goal is to raise our spirits to more meaningfully worship, reverence God, and to be more receptive to his word and to the sacrament. And the second caution is that we do not have a cyclical view of history. The pagans did. Many other ancient religions do, where things do just go round and round and never go anywhere. But beginning with the revelation of God to his chosen people, the Jews, we know history has a beginning, a creation. It has a middle, which we frequently call salvation history, and it has an end when Jesus will return to establish the kingdom of God. And Advent is kind of a split between those two endpoints. We look for the coming of Jesus, as he came as a baby, as a child, and we also look forward to his second coming kind of at the same time. So you will find both, especially as we get closer to Christmas, more about the coming of Jesus in history, but the first part of Advent we hear more about the final coming. So here we go, ready, set, go for another year. Maybe Jesus will come this year. There are rumors that hell is freezing over, the Cubs won the pennant, and so maybe it will be this year. But I also learned my life expectancy, according to the internet, is 103. So I've got lots of time. Why should I worry about when Jesus is coming, right? 
So I'm being kind of flippant about it on purpose because for many of us, at least for me emotionally, I don't really feel like Jesus might just come any day now. It's something I believe, but it doesn't really affect the way I think and the way I feel. Probably not much. And so I think there's a meaning to it, and we'll see it in the scriptures today, beyond just me or being ready for Jesus or beyond just when. I don't think the real question is exactly when, and Jesus warned us about that. The message of the scriptures for us as the body of Christ is a little different. If we look at our first reading, Isaiah, we see the vision of the last days, and it's centered on Jerusalem. The people of the world come to Jerusalem. The Messiah comes to Jerusalem to teach, to judge, to rule from there, and to bring peace. So it would, he is somehow going to resolve all these conflicts that we see that have been going on for hundreds and thousands of years. I expect there's going to be a lot of repentance on both sides of those conflicts for Jesus to resolve them. And he's going to usher in peace. And we have the famous verse about beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. So who can tell me what a plowshare is? Me being a good city boy, I may never have seen one. It's not a size. A plowshare... You know what a plowshare is? The blade that you pull to, oh, the size. Oh, I think of a size or something this way. So the way, I, the way I just read this is that in the front part of the plow, there are some spikes that break up the ground so that you can pull this plowshare through it to create a furrow so you can plant seed in it. So that's, now, do you think a sword would make a very good plowshare? Most of the swords that we think of, we see in the movies, they're about, what, this wide? But there are swords that were used in battle in the old days, like scimitars, which are more about, like, this wide. That might make a decent plowshare. So that may be able to do that. And a pruning hook, what's a pruning hook? What's a pruning hook? Trim off little branches. I didn't know that one. <laughs> so I can see a spear being shaped into a pruning hook. That sounds reasonable. But it sounds like there's going to be work to be done, plowing and pruning and harvesting after Jesus comes. It's going to resolve the disputes. And some people preach more about a thousand-year reign. Well, the scriptures tell us about a reign of Christ kind of before the final end where I guess Everything's going to work in order the way it was originally supposed to. And we will have some work to do. That's good. So God's people are not just spectators. And in particular, notice the last verse of the Isaiah reading. O house of Judah, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So while we're waiting, we have to walk in the light of the Lord. Why is that? How are these nations going to know that they should come to Jerusalem for the grace and teaching and leadership of God unless God's people walk in the light of the Lord? And this has happened at various times in history. It was true at the time 
after the Jews were dispersed in the Roman Empire, many people realized that the Jewish people had a morality and values that were higher and better than what they had, and they associated with them. There weren't that many who actually converted to Judaism, but there were, I forget the name, there were people who associated with them. And that is to be continued to be true of us who bear the light of Christ to the world. If the world can't see something in us that they don't have, why would they ever come to Jerusalem for more of it? So that is our call during the time of waiting. Now the responsorial psalm today goes right with the reading from Isaiah about Jerusalem. It's one of several psalms that are called songs of ascent. They're fairly short, and they were songs that the pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem recited as they walked. Now if you were walking from Galilee, it might take two to three days to get to Jerusalem. And they had these songs that they would recite. And if you were coming down from Galilee along the Jordan Valley to Jericho and then up to Jerusalem, it's really up. We saw that when Linda and I were in Jerusalem about two years ago, Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. The top of Jerusalem is about 2,000 feet above sea level, all in the course of seven or eight miles. And so you really do go up when you're walking to Jerusalem. So for us, in a spiritual sense, this is a time when we also should be going up. We should be getting closer to God, learning his word more, letting his grace work in our lives so that our light may indeed shine before, to the world. Now the other two readings, the readings are really pretty well put together this Sunday. I think they really hit a theme. Romans and the gospel, both the basic thing is wake up and stay awake. Uh, Romans, Paul also uses the dark light imagery. Put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So making provision for the flesh, getting careless about this or that, being lax about whether you live out the word of God or not, dims your light, whereas living in the word of God brightens your light to let that light shine to the rest of the world. And it's not just for ourselves, as Jesus said, you are the light of the world. As in Isaiah, this all points to Christ. In the gospel, Jesus also says, stay awake. And this is directed, it seems, more personally. Don't put off your repentance. Don't put it off because the Son of Man could come at any time, just like he did in the time of Noah. Well, it wasn't totally unexpected in the time of Noah. The flood was, but Noah knew, and Noah told people why he was building this monstrous ark, but they didn't believe him. They ignored him. They would not believe the prophet of God. And so for them, the disaster came suddenly, but it didn't come suddenly for Noah because he was awake and he was watching. The one who was taken and the one who was left can be taken two ways. If you think about Noah, since this is a parallel to Noah, the people who went into the ark, Noah and his family, were taken and the rest were left and perished in the flood. And so this is why a lot of people refer to this as some 
predicting, foretelling some sort of rapture. I won't go into that because there's too many different views of it. But there's a certain sense, and well, Paul does talk about being caught up in the air. If you are a believer and if you are awake and if you are listening, you will be saved when those around you will perish. The last part of this gospel is kind of a surprise to me. Jesus says he's going to come like a thief. That doesn't seem to go along with other things where he comes with great majesty and signs in the heavens and you will know when he comes because the lightning will flash from the east to the west. And then here he says he's coming kind of like a thief. Maybe the real point is that the homeowner wasn't watching for a thief and therefore he, his house got broken into and things got stolen. If the homeowner had been watching, it never would have happened. So I think the point here again is if we are watching and living our lives according to the word of God, seeking after him, we don't have to worry about getting robbed of God's blessings or our salvation or whatever. In, in that sense, it's really the devil who's more like the thief. He tries to take aware of when we're not paying attention. And the next thing you know, we've slipped in some way. So we stay on guard. Now, in Luke 18, verse 18, after Jesus had performed one of his miracles, he made a strange-sounding statement. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? So he had dealt with the man who said, help my unbelief, and his apostles had been unable to heal the, the child involved. So they didn't have the faith, at least for healing. Jesus saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Or will, by the time he comes, will everybody have forgotten about him? Well, we know that's not going to happen. But maybe it's more like, will he find very much faith on the earth? Will there be a faithful remnant and that's all? Or will there be many who are looking for the Messiah and waiting for him? We don't know, but that's the reason why we are to keep our lights burning so that all may see and all may have a chance to come to the Lord. So when we look at ourselves at this time of Advent and preparation, do people see something in us which leads them to ask, what is it about you that's different? What is it about you that I'm drawn to? Tell me about your values, your faith? Or do we get, our light gets dimmed by the compromises, by making provision for the flesh that Paul refers to in his letter? That we're not too, we don't want to be too extreme about all this. I mean, what works for me, what works for you, let's all just get along. That's not going to draw anybody to Christ. Especially when you do come to die. So there is the individual call here to each of us at a time we do not expect, or maybe at a time we expect, we will die and you won't be able to fake it at that time whether the light is in you or not. People will know if you are prepared and looking forward to meeting your Lord or if you're fearfully clinging to every last breath. I have seen two people just before they died in the last year 
I think now if I ever see anyone breathing like that again, I will know their time is very close, very short. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of dying. There are certain ways of dying that I might be afraid of, but I'm not afraid of dying, and none of us should be. There's always that worry about unfinished business, but if we really trust in the Lord and do what we can now to live according to his light, there's no reason to fear that final departure when the Lord comes for each of us. When the bridegroom comes, let your lamps be burning bright. Don't let yourselves run low on oil, whether it's sooner or later. When the Son of Man returns, how much faith will he find on the earth? Amen. <laughs>